Years and years ago, when I preached my last uh, sermon at the Donaldson Church in Nashville, I remember very vividly uh, what I preached. Um, what do you preach for your last sermon to a group of people that you've been speaking to for 10 years? And I think I said something like, I want to go out saying a few words about Jesus. And as we sort of launch into a new year, I have exactly the same impulses. I want you to start the year by thinking about Jesus. And so my sermon today is just, let me share a few words about, about Jesus, the one we call Lord and Master, the one we pr proclaim as Messiah, the one we proclaim as the Son of God, fully God, fully man. Let me just say a few words about Jesus. So let me begin with uh, John, who talks about Jesus in absolutely extraordinary ways at the beginning of his gospel. I've occasionally said to my students, if Matthew, Mark, and Luke are like Alabama and Tennessee and Texas, then John is like Mars. We're not just in a different state, we're in a different planet here. And so he begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Well, for those who spend a lot of time uh, with the Bible, this is a familiar passage, and it is familiarly deep. Here is John's proclamation of Jesus that he has been with God for all eternity, and in fact has had such a deep relationship with God that it can rightly be said that the Son and the Father are one. And then he makes his most astounding affirmation where he says that this logos, this word, this ultimate communication of God has put on flesh and dwelt among us. And he says that this is important because the world is in darkness and 
uh, kind of times we're living through now, a dark world, that kind of resonates with us. And we could use a little light, so we probably need to pay attention to what John's saying here. I do think that because we get caught up in in this notion of the logos, the word, whether it's the Jewish version of of Genesis 1 where God creates the world through the word or whether it's the stoic word which holds the world together somewhat misses the point. What John is saying is that the son has been so intimate with the father for all eternity that he is the one who can make him known. Now, I want us to think about uh, those situations in which we have had uh, communication problems. Uh, A lot of my listeners have probably been in a situation where you didn't speak the language. Uh, Those of us who've worshipped with with other Christians where the primary language was something other than uh, our native language, probably English, uh, know what it's like to sit through a Bible class where the only thing you understand is when the occasional word, Amen has said. And maybe you've been in situations where you really wanted to communicate and uh, couldn't quite figure out how uh, to do that. Um, I I was once with a bunch of uh, Christians from the underground church in Iran and desperately wanted to hear their stories but unfortunately I speak no uh, Farsi and most of them didn't speak very much English and so try as we might couldn't communicate much. Um, when I think about my, uh, my own situation, uh, in one of my former lives, uh, I was a bus minister. We don't really do this anymore, but we would bring uh, children from uh, all over the city and on uh, buses and, and try to teach them. And the first rule of being a bus minister is uh, everybody has to sit down on the bus because your first job as a bus minister is to make sure no one bleeds. Uh, never mind teaching them any Bible. We have to avoid injury, lawsuit. Everybody sits down. And uh, I was sort of head of the whole bus ministry, and so I would ride a different bus every day. I didn't know every kid on every bus. And uh, on, on the bus I'm riding on this day, there's a little guy. He's probably three standing up at the back of the bus, and I, I, I yell back there, okay, you need to sit down. The bus is getting ready to move. And he just ignores me. And so I say a little louder, you need to sit down, we're getting ready to leave, and he ignores me. And finally, I kind of do it with a threat. Are you going to make me come back there? You need to sit down. And finally, somebody says, he can't hear you, he's deaf. I said, what? He said, he's deaf, what's the matter, are you deaf too? Oh, he's deaf. And so I go back to the back of the bus, and I pick him up. I bring him to the front of the bus with me and, and sure enough, he is, he's deaf and he's three and we have like an hours long ride that we're gonna have to take here and I have to figure out how to kind of entertain him and communicate with him. And I think, okay, what am I gonna do? Well, we could sign, uh, but he doesn't know how to sign. And of course, the problem with that is I don't know how to sign either. That, oh, we can write notes. Well, he's three. He doesn't know how to write. Um, In fact, everything I could think of didn't work because the gap between us was so large. 
And what John wants us to see is that the gap between me and my little deaf three-year-old bus rider is small compared between the gap that exists between God and us. God has a communication problem. And I don't know how God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit communicate with each other. For those of you who are old enough to remember this, I assume it's something Vulcan, some sort of mind meld thing. But if God is going to speak to human beings, if God's going to speak to me, I can do nothing to get up to where God is. God has to come down to me. And so John says, the word became flesh. This is God's ultimate attempt to communicate with human beings. And he wants to make sure we know that Jesus Christ is fully qualified to show us who God is. He's been with God from the beginning. He helped God create the world. He is so close to God, it can be said that he and the Father are one. He is so qualified, and now he puts on flesh so we can know who he is. This is going to lead Jesus to say things like, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. It's going to lead Jesus to say things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and when the disciples say, how can we know the way? Jesus is going to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'll show you the way. I want to show you just a couple of places in John where this is borne out. And uh, here's my point. Um, I always like one-point sermons. Here we are, halfway into the sermon. Here's the point. What we know about God, we know about God through Jesus Christ. And the God that we proclaim is the God that Jesus knows. And if we want to know what God would have us to say, what God would have us to do, what God would have us to be about in these dark times, then what we do is look at God's clearest communication, Jesus Christ. I want to show you uh, two different ends of that. In uh, John chapter 18, uh, we are told the story of Jesus' arrest, and it's really weird. It says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley on the other side, there was an olive grove, and his, and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, "'Who is it you want?' Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. 
This is one of those stories where John wants to make sure we didn't miss the point of John 1. When we see Jesus, we see God. Uh, They come out to arrest Jesus. He says, who do you want? We're looking for Jesus. And he says, I am. Uh, I know in English it says, I am he. But I assure you in Greek, there's only two words. He says, I am. And when he says, I am, these people with torches and lanterns and and weapons and, and swords, they all fall down. And if you really know your Bible, you're thinking about a, a, a story from the, from the Hebrew Bible where uh, Moses is introduced to the God of Israel as named I Am. And this same I Am makes his appearance in the garden here. And when Jesus says I Am, they all fall down. And the text doesn't say this, but probably what happens next is Jesus says, oh, come on, come on, come on, I can't... In- I can't arrest myself. You know, you got to help me out here. Come on, come on. Uh, But before the majesty of God, when he declares himself the I am, they fall. That's the part of the story we're most comfortable with. We're comfortable with the story that says this one who put on flesh is God. We Christians are, are very sure about that part. Um, But now I want to show you uh, another story which takes a slightly different angle. John chapter 13, again, a very familiar story. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Um, This story is um, about a symbolic action, washing feet. Uh, But it's also about a real action, washing feet. 
Uh, when they're gathered up for this meal in uh, the upper room, uh, the, the tables in those days were low. You would sit with your uh, reclining at the table. Your feet might be pretty close to somebody else's face. You've been clogging around in sandals all day on dusty rolls. Watch, washing feet was an absolute necessity. And generally speaking, a household slave would have done it, but because they weren't in anybody's house particularly, there was no slave to do it. So one of them was going to have to take the role of the household slave and wash feet. And none of the apostles are willing to do this because it requires them to take a lesser role, and it's probably an embarrassing situation. But it goes from embarrassing to totally humiliating when Jesus starts to do it. And then Peter gets all uh, all edgy about the situation. Um, but what I think is one of the most interesting parts of the passage is the lack of transition between verses 4 and 5. Here's what it says. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. I want you to think about how oddly that's put. Jesus knows where he came from and where he's going. In other words, he knows all that John 1 stuff. He knows he has this intimacy with God. He's been with God from the beginning. He's, he's come to make that known. He knows all of that. And then he starts to wash their feet. And I think I would have been inclined to say something like, despite the fact that he was God himself, that he had been with God from all eternity, that he created the world, despite that, he got up and started to wash their feet. But that's not what the text says. The text says Jesus, fully aware and knowing that, washes their feet. In other words, this washing of their feet is not contrary to his divine identity. It is the exact expression of it. And when he's done, he says, okay, now what I've done for you, I want you to do for one another. So here we are at the beginning of a new year that we're hoping is going to be a lot better than the last year. Darkness, is all around us. And I want to share a few words about my Savior, Jesus. Who being God, who even when those with all the power try to arrest him with a mere word can make them all fall down. When it comes to expressing his identity, he says, the way I do it is I wash feet. This is always the momentous decision that Christians have to make if they're going to be serious followers of Jesus. When it comes time to express who he is, Jesus doesn't do it through power. He does it through service. And when we are at a time in our world where there is this desperate competition for power, where Christians seem to be deathly afraid that they're going to lose their power. We need to turn back to God's ultimate communication of who he is and see that he comes as the one who washes feet.
you have to feel the enormity of this. God washes your feet. Now, what are you going to do in response to that? Are you going to answer Jesus' call? Say, okay, what I've done for you, I want you to do for other people. Are we going to be the com- become the ones who like Jesus, rather than assert our power, are willing to become the humble servants of all? Because we know who we are, and we know where we're going, and washing feet is no threat to the identity of God. Um, uh, I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I have no idea what this uh, year is going to be like, but in the end, it will be like many other years. It'll be full of good things and bad things. And what sustains us over time, regardless of what's happening, is this fundamental identity that God has made himself known in Jesus Christ and we stare steadfastly at him to find out what we ought to be saying what we ought to be doing, how we ought to be relating to people. And John couldn't be clearer that when the choice comes, what you ought to do is get up from the table because you know who you are and you know where you're going and wash the feet of those around you, uh, including those who don't deserve it. Uh, I just wanted to say a few words about Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face to shine upon you and gives you peace. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages. Now, And forevermore, world without end. Amen.